0: You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore and on Instagram at locked on fantasy basketball today what we're going to be looking at a bit of a different topic to fantasy basketball looking at sports betting it's uh, something that does cross over a little bit and just talking about the the market the way the things have changed especially in the united states and talking about ways to try and you know, look at value and how to how to approach it if you are look, looking to get into it for the first time michael bolton let's get to it, to it. All right, to talk about the sports betting landscape, I'm joined by Terry Stott. Not Terry Stotts, not the Portland Trailblazers head coach. I'm joined by Terry Stott of Playout Line Pro. You can find him over on Twitter at Playout Line Pro, and uh, you may or may not have seen his website. Terry, welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, g'day, Josh. Thanks for having us, and a uh, pleasure to be with you and Michael Bolton.
1: Yes, and uh, now obviously, everybody can tell by Terry's accent. He is uh, he is here from Australia. You don't uh, you don't live in Victoria with me. You're over in Western Australia, I believe, Terry?
0: That's correct, Yeah.
1: So, and another Australian who's uh you're making their way in the NBA uh, NBA landscape, Terry um, Player Line Pro. Um, that's that's your site that you, you guys started. What is it that you guys do over there?
0: Yeah, so essentially, um, to take it back, uh, as pretty much most Australian boys do when they become of age, we get down to the, the TAB here, which is our local sports book, and and have a bit of a gamble. And it just started as a bit of fun, like it does with most people. And then we come across player props and obviously NBA was my passion. And I started thinking to myself, gee, I seem to be going all right at this. So I started tracking my bets and turned out I was actually okay at it. I started off doing $1 bets and eventually turned that into 80,000. Needless to say, I was blocked by most of the bookmakers. Uh, but i was really passionate about the player lines and really enjoyed it so together with a friend we created a website where we could uh, put out our tips and also results a few articles about betting and, and basketball in general and from there we built it into sending our tips out via email we then created a login portal on our website for our members and then last season, we created an app where all our tips were published and uh, distributed with complete with push notifications. And uh, yeah, we basically built it up from there.
1: So when we talk about, about player props, for those who, who don't know what that means, we're talking about you know, the lines that these sports books will put out. So a player, they're going to score over or under 14 and a half points or you know, get Nine and a half rebounds, or you know, three and a half assists. Like, what? What? Is there any other props? It's mainly points, rebounds, assists. They offer combos as well. Yeah, you know, combine twenty points and rebounds, or you know, fifteen points and assists. Or so what other things do they they normally offer in terms of those player props? There is a few
0: others. Obviously, they're the most popular, like you say, and they're your conventional line bets, same as your game total or game spread. They do have things like player X to score X amount of points and Team X to win the game and you know that props it up to about you know four six dollar odds depending on how far you want to go with it uh, they're the they but the, like you say the the points rebounds and assists are the main ones every now and then during the playoffs they will put out a few extra lines where they'll do even to the point where they'll do attempts so you can bet on how many shots a player is going to take uh, and also Will they make their first two-point basket, their first three-point basket, their first free throw? There really is all sorts across the multiple uh, bookmakers that are out there.
1: I think those those ones like will they make their first shot? It's, it's like betting on a, a coin toss almost. I don't I don't like those ones. There's too much variance in those. To me, it's almost like in the AFL, you know, who's the first goal scorer? Like there's just way too much variance in those. To I, I you can correct me on this. I think that sort of stuff, you know, being profitable or being successful with that, yeah, there's a lot more luck involved than actual skill and research.
0: Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. The uh, those sorts of markets are what you would do for people who probably don't really bet a lot and. You know, they might go down to the watch the final and they just want to throw something on and it's a bit of fun. It's certainly not something that I would look at as uh, something to continue betting on. If you're looking to make profit, Uh, the bookmakers generally have the odds heavily favoured against you in that regard. Anyhow...
1: Because again, when you look at that, you want to be able to get an edge on, on the bookmaker. So they're setting their lines so they can make a profit under all circumstances. But when there are things that are so like one event specific, there is no real edge to be gained. In, in that sort of area, I don't believe. So that, that to me is just sure. throw, throwing away money. And uh, yeah, again, you, you're agreeing with me, so I'm, I'm glad that we're on the same same line there. Now, I want to talk a little bit about you know, the the fact that this market has opened up now in the US um, with sports betting now becoming legalized. It's still yeah you know, trickling through all the different states and how things are working over there. We've, of course, had that legal here for, I don't know when did it started, early, early 90s, that we could do yeah a, a big array of sports betting.
0: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't actually know the date, to be honest, but I know it was around since I was born, and I'm 34 years old, so yeah, as it's, far back as I can remember.
1: It's It's been a you know, we had horse racing, obviously, for ages, and then sports betting started to come in. Yeah, maybe it was late 80s, early 90s, around that time, uh, and then eventually it's yeah, pushed right across. But the the negative stigma in the U.S. around gambling? Now, most people in the U.S. gamble anywhere on offshore sites or illegal sort of stuff, but, you know, opening up to be more mainstream. Like, where do you see this this industry going in terms of growth, integrated into things like, you know, sports broadcast, that sort of stuff?
0: Yeah, well, obviously, we've already seen a lot of it. It's, there's been a big change in the last couple of years. Obviously, there's a few states in America now that have now legalized it and a majority of them are pushing it. Uh, to become legal moving forward. It's been um, debated a lot about what the market and what the industry is actually worth. So I don't think anybody quite knows because a lot of it, as you say, has been done offshore or on the black market. So it is quite hard to tell, but there's no doubt that it would be profitable for teams by simply having logos or... Uh, sponsorship on jerseys like they do in European soccer there's definitely money to be made for the industry as a whole um, we knew it was sort of coming to the forefront when about five years ago Adam Silver basically backed it and he was one of the first uh, to do so in American sport saying let's bring this out into the light you know there's lots of things we can do here he even spoke about having people being able to be in the arena And do a live bet on their phones. So he's been very forward thinking about it. You know, we see the odds are broadcast on TV now. Uh, There's segments on TV shows doing
1: bad beats. Yeah. So Van Pelt's been doing that for ages.
0: Yeah. Exactly. You know. So it's 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 something that's becoming more and more popular and and becoming more and more accepted. You know, you've got the websites of ESPN Chalk and bleacher report betting, that sort of thing. So it's definitely starting to come to the forefront where I see America basically being the same as Australia soon where, you know, no one bats an eyelid when you walk in and put a bet on or talk about having a bet.
1: Now. In terms of you know, people will often look at these things, and it's the same with with the DFS. There is a significant crossover in the way that this stuff needs to be approached. But people often see DFS and they see a contest, a hundred thousand dollar prize pool, and they go, well, "Let's go all in on that." But you know, it is more of a systematic approach. It's you know, you're betting player props. You're not like, "Well, I'm going to bet this one and it's going to pay ten to one, and I'm going to put a hundred bucks on it and here's a thousand dollars." Like it's a more of a slow, methodical type process, like betting the lines, like betting the over unders in games, where you know your typical are for $1.87 to $1.91, in that sort of a range I- area. So it's about you're doing it slowly and, and building your process up. So you know, how successful would you need to be to turn that into a profit given those low margins?
0: Yeah, well, a lot of people would actually be surprised that uh, even though it is only $1.90 uh, as an average, that you only have to hit 54% of your bets to, to, uh, to be profitable or at least to break even, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot. And I, I think it probably comes back to maybe what we're taught in schools, uh, where if you were to take a test on something and you went, Oh yeah, guess what, Terry, I've got six out of 10 here. You'd go, well, that's doesn't seem anything special, but if you actually do the math on it, 60%, if you went 60% on those bets, you would turn a really good profit, especially if you were doing say 50 to a hundred dollars a bet. So what, what's, sorry, mate. <clears throat> um, and the other thing is we're in sports, uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm or just in life in general, I'm in the X amount of percentile, you know, you, you can't see be seen to be a expert in your field unless you're the top five percentile. And as I said, you know, if you're going at 60%, then you're doing really well. There's professional gamblers out there that run at 56 58% and are able to make a living off that.
1: Yeah, and they're doing it based on, on volume. So yeah, if you're consistently hitting, hitting that number, which you know 3 or 4% above that break-even number, uh, it is a slow build-up, but you do it through volume, like the way that you built yours up. You know these small bets and eventually you build it up and you build it up. And that's yeah the same way going about like DFS and playing cash games as well. Like you don't have the big payouts, but just constantly getting yourself back. If It's very, very similar in terms of you know, you've got to hit you win 56% of your contests um in double ups and and things like that to you know be able to be profitable and it's the same sort of thing here just have your your process be confident that you can get more than half of it of it right half the time which is not it's not necessarily easy to do but it's also you don't have to be hitting 75 percent because nobody hits 75 percent given the way that these lines are lines are set you need to be yeah looking at you know 58 59 if you can get to that level then you're going really really well and just yeah, sticking to your process and understand there's going to be some losses in there and then pushing it back up and just going back with that same sort of um that same sort of idea that same sort of uh, process with it
0: Definitely, yeah. You've got to stick to your guns. You've got to be consistent and and understand that you are going to have good days and bad days. But that if you're focusing on the process of what you're doing, that the results will take care of itself. So you really want to stick to your bankroll, as you say. Have a bit of strategy about it. I've heard you mention many times, you know, to limit your uh, output on low volume and high volume days in DFS. So there really is a, a structure around it to to get that slow burn, like you say, to be able to build up your bankroll to where you can start turning a decent profit, but you you can't go gun-ho and just start going, okay, well 60% out of, you know, is easy to hit, I'm just gonna go whack 100 bucks down every time because, you know, you wanna make sure that your process is right before and build it up, as I say.
1: How, how do you see things that, that have changed in terms of the way that lines are being set or you know, the areas that maybe you were able to um, capitalize on that may have been closed off in terms of how things have been uh, set by uh, bookmakers?
0: Yeah, it's definitely changed. Um, when I first started, you used to have to sort of scroll down to the bottom of the page to be able to find the player props on a lot of books. They're right up the top now. Uh, A lot of them will even have uh, player hubs with stats where they will actually recommend some of these player props to you. Um, In the early days, we sort of used to see that it basically was just set on the player's average and and would hardly change at all. We used to see a player go over their total one game and then they would be on a back-to-back in Utah And the line would stay the same or would sometimes even go up. They've essentially disappeared now. Uh, One year, uh, the books thought that they would uh, offer player lines to every single player. uh, And it was in when the playoffs started. So they obviously thought, all right, playoffs are starting. Everybody's keen to get on. Let's make a line for everybody. Didn't take into account that rotations are shortened in the playoffs so I ended up betting every single bench player under and I think they went at seventy or seventy five percent, something like that. so we we never see that anymore either. so they they have got a lot sharper uh, in the last few years and it, it's become harder to to find an edge. Uh, but because we've been doing it for so long, we've managed to build on our model and Stay ahead of the curve, essentially, where we've maintained our winning percentage.
1: So obviously, you're not going through these and just you know eyeballing numbers and looking at it, you know, much like you know when I'm doing stuff in terms of our fantasy projections. We're not just saying, oh, well, I think this guy will average this amount of points, or this guy will do this. So there's, a, there's a process behind it, and things that are important to always look at is pace, the team's pace, the opponent team's pace, like how up tempo is this game going to be good defense, good offense, that sort of stuff is pretty straightforward. But are there any other sort of things that maybe go under the radar a little bit as things that you do check in or are key components of, you know, formulating these type of individual player prop projections?
0: Yeah. So as you say, we do have a model, including a majority of those common things to look at. Um, The things that people probably don't take into account as much is probably the shot attempts like where they are where a player gets a majority of their shots whether they're twos threes or free throws and then how the team that they're versing defends those types of plays like we know the Bucks for instance you know they play a drop coverage and allow a lot of threes so if a player's shooting a lot of threes then there's something there um, and other things like depending if the player is a low attempt, high field goal guy like uh, Rudy Gobert, they're the types of guys that I would generally tend to stick away from because it doesn't leave any margin for error. And sort of on the flip side of that, you've got players that are high attempt, low low field goal like uh, Devontae Graham or uh, Terrence Ross, where you know they're going to get the shots but their percentage wax and wanes so much. There's such high vari- variability in those types of players that we tend to steer away from those guys and stick with the guys that are a little bit more consistent.
1: So that's what, you know, when we talk about looking at these things and looking at it as a, as a long-term prospect, we, you could go out there and you could hit Devontae Graham, you know, over 16 points and he has a good shooting night and he hits it. But, that's great. You got one out of one. But the next three nights where he goes four out of 16 and gets 13 points for three nights in a row and that line moves from 16 to 17 and you keep going, well, he'll do it again, he'll do it again. Like that's the problem. You want more of that consistency in those players and in what they do rather than the wild sort of swings, even in you know in assists where some guy might randomly have eight and then have one. Or you know, the guys who are just more consistent leads to more predictability, leads to more, again, hitting that 58 to 60% time Type of number on these guys like consistency is the key when you're in it for the long haul
0: yeah definitely and similar to when you're doing your daily recaps you know and and player x has only had one block in in two months and then he comes up with three in a game we, we know that's an outlier um and and uh players who <clears throat> sorry mate lost me train of thought again
1: that's all right um it is yeah, getting that sort of consistency is it is the key and not and trying to stick to it as well i think is the hard thing there terry like you've got to be able to stick to uh your process and not sort of veer too much away from it because otherwise that leads you into problem and that problem of you know of, of chasing losses as well is something that's a, a real concern for for many people
0: yeah definitely you don't want to be chasing losses that's that's the worst thing you can do you've
1: All right, so going back to looking at the the consistency of, of players, how how much of is that just a, a big part of what you're what you're looking at in terms of you know, trying to you know, put out these these tips for people?
0: Yeah, definitely, hundred percent. Like we sort of touched on before, or like you were just touching on with Devonte Graham being a very high variance sort of player, similar to DFS, they're the guys that you would consider GPP plays. So what we're really looking for is That consistency where, look, we still know that we're not going to hit 100% of our bets on these guys, but we're looking for trends that will be consistent and will allow us to make money over time in volume.
1: When you're looking at inconsistent sort of players... Are we do you ever like do you have a, a thing where you go okay you avoid them in general but is maybe going the under on those bets more valuable than yeah, a lot of people will want things i'll look at something like oh, i want him to go over i want him big scores but yeah, hitting the under do you feel like that when bookmakers are setting these lines they're setting them yeah, maybe it's a half a point maybe it's a full point higher just because of the natural tendency for people to bet the over
0: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Uh, We're far more profitable on our under bets because no one wants to put a bet on an under and and cheer for a low-scoring game or or cheer for a player not to score. They're generally betting on their favourite player and for them to go over, and that's where we can find value and take advantage of the unders. We'll generally still stick away from those high-attempt guys because there is the ability to go over as a play, as opposed to a player who may be a bit more consistent with his attempts. And then we find a spot where he's up against a good defensive team or a, a team that guards his position well and he's on a back-to-back, something like that. They're the guys that we would tend to focus on a little bit more. And to add to that, there's just a lot more things with an over bet that could go wrong, yeah. you know, your player could get in foul trouble, he could get injured, he could have a high turn overnight, things like that, where on the flip side, that works in your favor for an under. So generally, if you're betting an under bet, realistically, the only time that we lose those bets are if the player has a hot shooting night or if they have more attempts than what they would generally have, and that could be potentially due to another player getting an injury or foul trouble. Their usage is up, but there's just a lot more factors that go into an over bet that there are
1: for an under bet. Do you think that is the the same th- sort of thing in terms of game totals? Is that or to me, I, I don't necessarily feel that, but that's just more um, subjective analysis of it, or is. is- those game totals seem to be a little bit more, and you, can, you know you can hit fifty you percent know, either way. Or do do they tend to lean more towards value on the unders as well?
0: They would lean to more towards the value on the unders as well. Pr- pretty much across the board in any under over, unders is probably going to win blindly more than fifty percent of the time. Um, I haven't m- moved a lot into the totals of games. It's something I would like to do in the future. And a lot of the time, if I'm doing looking at my projections and I'm projected for four out of the five starters to go over their total, then I'll have a look at things like the game total or probably more so the team total game points. Yeah. So it is something that I do want to explore in the future but haven't spent a great deal of time on. Obviously, this not being my full-time job, I've only got a certain amount of time to be able to dedicate to this.
1: So, you know, when, if someone's looking to, to get into, you know, especially looking at uh, player props, in terms of you know, initial strategy, you know, bankroll management, how do you suggest people go about that for the first time? When, when we eventually get sports back, of course.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, Yeah, you, you, like we were saying before, you, you really just have to be disciplined. If you think that there's something you would like to get into, I would track, definitely need to track your bets first and foremost now, you don't even have to put anything down. You could simply just uh, manually put them in an Excel spreadsheet, say, I like this, I like that, and see see how you go over a two to three month period. Then that way, you're not at risk of losing any money. Look, if, if you really want to put something on it, you know, throw a dollar on it. But again, you, you want to be sticking to a bankroll you know, we've all heard of uh Haralabub story that he took his entire savings and, and threw it on the Lakers to win the championship. You know, it's a great story, but for every Haral Above Vulgaris, there's probably a thousand people who did that, maybe tens of thousands yeah. and and they lost. So you really want to collect the data, analyze it, and see if your process is correct. That's that's the main thing. And you really have to be objective and detach from fandom and media narratives, revenge games, birthday games, and sometimes even the odds. I've looked at odds before. I've, I've done all my process and gone, okay, I like an under here, and I've gone to put money down, and the odds are $2 for the under and $1.70 for the over. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, have I missed something here? And not necessarily because the these player props, the pool of the money is so small that a one big bet can swing the odds pretty drastically. So you really need to trust your process. Uh, An example, just before the NBA was called off, we had DeMar DeRozan on an under bet and I think he went 10 of 13 from the field. Now what we've mentioned many times, you know, that that's unsustainable. Nobody's shooting 75 plus percent from the field. So, we waited one game because the next game was the Cavs. The line stayed the same, and then we hit the under again. And that one came through uh, by a country mile. So, it's not really about the wins or losses, it's understanding the process and making sure that you got your process right and being realistic about that process, what the outcome should have been.
1: Yeah, I think that's important to, to note as well. It's just, yeah. You- you say with anything, and even even in fantasy, like, there are plenty of things that, that I'll get wrong or you know, say, well, you know, why did I project this guy this way? But you know, having an understanding of why you did it versus, you know, was there something wrong in why I did that versus a player inexplicably shooting 10% worse from the field, which is, you know, you've got no way of being able to predict that. Even like you know, Brandon Ingram, all of a sudden, shooting triple the amount of threes and hitting them at a huge rate and having 15% increase in his free throw percentage, like that stuff, you can't predict those sort of wild, out of nowhere type numbers. And that's the same sort of thing here, especially when we're talking about one game sample sizes going back and forth. There are going to be losses because as much as someone averages a certain number, that doesn't mean they do that exact same thing every day. And you're getting those guys who score 20 points and then 5 points, then 20 points and 5 points. Jordan Clarkson style versus someone who gives you 15 every night. It's a very different a very different sort of ball game in a very different way to to look at it and to make sure that you are you're know, on top of it and not losing faith. And if you're, you know, as you said, if you're tracking this for three months and there is something and you're not coming out successful, then it is then it is a process thing that you've probably got to check. Like if you, after one day, oh shit, I lost, that's shit. Then no, that's not. That's Let's see how it goes over this extended period of time, seeing how it works out. And then if it isn't working out, then there's something off in your process that you do need to look at, but it's not necessarily something you can look at after a day or a week or even a month. It is a longer longer haul sort of a thing that eventually you will start to... And I'm sure you're constantly tweaking your algorithms and things like that as more information comes in. 100%. Yeah, no... You hit the nail on the head there, mate. All right, Terry. That will uh, that'll do it for us today here. So you can go and check out uh, Terry at Playerline Pro on Twitter, and you can uh, you have Instagram as well.
0: Yeah, Playerline Pro Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, the uh, website Playerline Pro, and you can download our app Playerline Pro. And also, we do a preview on each day's games uh, of the lines and our initial leans. Uh, which is Playerline Pro, just the tip.
1: So go and uh, you can go check that out if you're looking to get into some player prop stuff. Terry will have you all covered. Terry, thanks for coming on.
0: Thanks for having me, mate. Appreciate it.
1: And that will do it for today's podcast, guys. After you finish listening to this, don't forget to check out today's episode of Locked On NBA by telling your smart device to play Locked On NBA. Subscribe to this show, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Leave a comment down below. Give me a thumbs up as well. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.